People matter, freedom matters, peace matters. And to liberty, and to freedom. Free its people. March with me under the banner of freedom. Belief in freedom. Defending the frontiers of freedom. To ensure freedom. Freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. And welcome to the McDonald Laurier Institute. Uh, this is the first in a series of conversations. And in this first conversation, uh, I, Mariam Marsadegi, senior fellow at McDonald Laurier Institute, am very uh, pleased and honored to have as my guest Adiriza Nader, who is a dear friend and senior fellow at the Foundation for Defense of Democracies. Um, Ali Reza Nader has for many years focused on Iran, and uh, I thought I would begin by asking you, Ali Reza John, to describe a bit about how you uh, decided to make Iran and uh, the struggle for democracy in Iran and uh, the struggle for a more um, a peaceful uh, Middle East region uh, that would result from a democratic Iran the focus of your career. Well, thank you so much for having me, Mayam. And uh, thank you very much to the McLaurier Institute for doing this event. Uh, you've been putting out a lot of great work on Iran, and I really do appreciate it. I, and I think um, Canadian Iranians will particularly appreciate it uh, as they struggle to free their homeland and seek justice, uh, especially uh, for the Islamic Republic's shoot down of the Ukrainian flight PS752. But to answer your question, uh, why did I choose uh, to work on Iran? Well, uh, and I think we've talked about this, Mayam, uh, and um, this is one of the reasons we're friends. I think we, our experiences are very similar uh, as are the experiences of millions and millions of uh, Iranians who uh, have lost their uh, home um, and have been really struggling to get back uh, to Iran and free it uh, from uh, the dictatorship under Ayatollah Khamenei. I just really care about Iran. I think fundamentally, uh, my personal goal is to go back to Iran. I have not been there uh, since the age of 10. And uh, one of the reasons, the, the selfish reason I, I fight for democracy in Iran for a free Iran, because I want to go uh, back and see Iran. I think it's a wonderful country uh, with a very rich history. And uh, as people are uh, fighting a brutal dictatorship, and as you know very well, their uh, voices are not reaching the outside world. Uh, the Islamic Republic has tried very hard uh, to keep information from uh, coming out of Iran. Um, we're approaching the anniversary uh, of the 2019 Aban uprising, uh, during which uh, the Islamic Republic massacred uh, thousands of Iranians, according to Reuters, 1,500 Iranians, uh, Iranian protesters, although I believe the number could be much higher. Uh, so I think uh, it's really important for uh, Iranian Americans like us, Iranians like us, uh, to really uh, help understand policymakers and the wider public uh, in places like Canada and the United States and really everywhere uh, to really inform uh, stakeholders and policymakers about what's really happening in Iran, um, because it's a very important country and we don't really uh, fully get the necessary information uh, to figure out what's happening. 
Yeah, in a recent post that, uh, in a recent uh, op-ed that you wrote on the McDonnell-Laurier Institute website, and in other writings that uh, you've had in prominent publications, you've chosen to focus on Canada and Canadian foreign policy um, towards the Islamic Republic. Uh, in particular, you've been very critical of Justin Trudeau's um, uh, not just uh, stance towards the Islamic Republic, but in general, his worldview and his um, posture towards repressive regimes, including China. Can you uh, describe first why uh, you see Trudeau's uh, stance on the Islamic Republic and other repressive regimes as harmful to Canadian interests? Well, I think... Uh when we look at uh, regimes like the Islamic Republic and Communist China, there are a direct threat uh, to the national security of countries like Canada and the United States. Uh, there are a threat to um, our democracies, our uh, way of life, uh, but also in the case of the Islamic Republic in Iran, uh, it has a very significant network of uh, regime agents, money launderers, uh, and political influencers that are shaping uh, Canadian uh, policy toward Iran. And uh, the prime minister uh, has promised the families of the PS752 uh, criminal act that uh, they would receive justice, that uh, he would um, you know, seek answers from them, from the Islamic Republic. Uh, but he has really done no such thing. He's made a lot of promises, uh, but he hasn't delivered on them. Uh, he hasn't targeted the regimes that work in Canada. He has not designated the Revolutionary Guards in Iran as a terrorist organization. And without having uh, these sort of pressures, Canada has no leverage mm -hmm. uh, over the regime in Iran. And I think it's important uh, for Trudeau to deliver on his promise. What would it achieve to designate the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, the IRGC, as a terrorist entity? What would Canada gain by doing that? Well, uh, first and foremost, it would send a very clear message to the regime in Iran that Canada is serious about seeking answers to PS752. The regime has not uh, provided any transparency about this criminal act. Nobody has been uh, held to account, and Canada and the international community have to do much more. By dazzling the Revolutionary Guards also, uh, it allows uh, Canadian law enforcement, um, like CSIS, uh, to really go after uh, the regime's assets and people in Canada. You know, I've done uh, some field work in Canada. I've had many activists tell, tell me mm -hmm. uh, that they are afraid that they're going to be targeted in Canada and the Canadian government hasn't done very much. And I think that's really unacceptable for a democracy uh, like Canada to accept this sort of behavior, to allow the regime to launder billions of money uh, into Canada uh, mm -hmm. and pretend that uh, just pure engagement and diplomacy and a soft approach to the Islamic Republic uh, will protect Canadian national security and uh, provide justice to the families of PS752. What is it that you think Trudeau and people who agree with Trudeau don't understand about these regimes? Uh, there's a there is a naivete that you seem to point to in right. that 
way of thinking? What is it that they don't understand that they should? Well, Trudeau has uh, uh, in the past expressed admiration for authoritarian regimes. He praised Fidel Castro uh, despite uh, that brutal regime's record of human rights abuses in Cuba. Um, and uh, for a progressive like Trudeau who uh, states that he cares about these issues, uh, for example, gay rights, um, if he really does care about gay rights and thinks uh, gay rights are a universal issue, then that should apply to Iran as well. Uh, not only has Trudeau uh, praised authoritarian regimes, he has blamed the United States uh, for uh, the conflict uh, between Iran and the U.S. And I think it's a very simplistic interpretation. When uh, PS752 was shot down, uh, he said it was due to regional tensions, and that is just not accurate. Uh, that was an intentional act by the regime to shoot that plane, and uh, the U.S. bears no responsibility for that. Yeah, and even going back uh, much further in history, uh, Zahra Kazemi, a uh, Canadian... Iranian photographer um, was tortured and um, killed uh, uh, in custody by the regime. Can you say a bit about that and how that uh, should have altered foreign policy from the Canadian government more than it did? Yes, her uh, death in an Iranian jail was just gruesome. Uh, she was tortured and beaten. And I think, you know, that uh, Canada and the United States failure uh, to punish the regime uh, for ab abusing and killing and taking hostage Canadian Iranians and Amer Iranian Americans really, I think, uh, sets, had, that set up a pattern starting at that time uh, for the regime to get away with this sort of activity. And I, in foreign governments, especially democracies, uh, have to make sure their citizens are protected and their uh, consequences right. uh, for their citizens being killed. The Canadian government traditionally, especially under Trudeau, has really uh, prioritized um, investments and mm -hmm. uh, trade with Iran more than anything. And I, I really do believe uh, that ultimately Trudeau is not just motivated by the Biden administration's policies toward Iran, but he's really waiting for sanctions uh, to be lifted so Canadian companies can uh, mm. go and do business in Iran. I think that's one of the issues or critiques I and a lot of other people have of the Trudeau government uh, that uh, they're prioritized uh, making money with really an evil regime like that of Iran. And you, know, you can arguably say communist China mm. uh, while paying lip service to universal human rights. So that makes really everybody cynical. Right. Isn't that, isn't that ironic that the, that the uh, politicians in the West who have the progressive worldview, as you mentioned, gay rights, women's rights, labor rights, um, uh, respect for minority uh, rights, um, and the persecution of people based on their identity. It is those very um, politicians, political groups, uh, campus groups um, who are much more tolerant, if not even uh, respectful towards the Communist uh, Party in China, to the, towards the Islamic Republic. Um, uh, 
I wonder if we can just talk a little bit about historically why you think that's that's come to happen in democracies and how does it threaten the democracies themselves in the free world, in the West and other parts of the world that are already democratic? How does that so-called progressive worldview threaten democracy at home? People who uh, have shaped and defined progressive foreign policy in America, I believe, have this tendency, especially in the case of Iran, to believe that everything is America's fault or the West's fault. Uh, and of course, uh, the United States and uh, European countries and Canada um, are to blame for some things. You know, they made mistakes uh, in Iran and the Middle East as well. But I think that progressives in general, uh, especially Canadian or American progressives, um, really uh, don't see that the regime in Iran has agency, that uh, not everything it does is a reaction uh, to uh, what the United States does. Like for example, there's a very prominent journalist uh, in the United States uh, who blamed President Trump for the November 2019 massacre in Iran. And you know, whatever you think of Trump, uh, the reality is that uh, Ayatollah Khamenei, the Supreme Leader of Iran, and uh, Rouhani, who was president at that time, gave the orders to the regime security forces to kill innocent people in mass. And I, a lot of progressives uh, just don't really care about that. You know, they, yeah. they say they care about human rights and gay rights and women's rights and environmental issues. Uh, but when it comes to authoritarian regimes uh, in Iran, they're very tolerant uh, of those regimes abuse of their own people. Mm -hmm. And I think that really uh, shapes foreign policy. Because when you look at American um, academia, for example, uh, there's a lot of apologism toward the Islamic Republic. Yeah. Uh, um, you mentioned the uh, Aban massacre. Uh, Aban uh, is the current month um, on the Iranian calendar. And uh, we are uh, at the two-year anniversary of the massacre of uh, peaceful protesters in over 100, perhaps over 200 uh, cities and towns throughout the country. Um, it, uh, the Alban uh, uprising was um, a part of a series of uh, protests that really galvanized uh, the entire country against the regime with slogans that were unmistakably for peaceful overthrow and transition to democracy. Um, among the most popular slogans were those that targeted both the reformists and the hardliners, showing that the protesters believe there's not only no difference between the two, but that there is um, much more palpable anger even towards the reformists than the hardliners because of the promises uh, unfulfilled that the reformists have been giving for over two decades now. Um, can you tell us more about the aspirations of the Iranian people now? What is the mood on the street? Um, what is the mood on social media? How are people uh, shaping the discourse around this aspiration for peaceful overthrow? And thank you for that great explanation of uh, the Avon uprising. The Iranians want this regime gone. Uh, there's no doubt about that. And I do really believe that the vast majority of Iranians, uh, based on anecdotal evidence, but also surveys and just studying Iran, want a really a secular country. They don't want Islamist rule. And they made that very 
uh, clear in the past few years. In addition to Aban, there have been uh, several other major demonstrations and uprisings, and they seem to be happening periodically in Iran because uh, this is basically an evil regime. There's really no other way uh, to describe it. It has exploited uh, the Iranian people, Iran's natural resources, and the entire, really, the Middle East uh, for the last 43 years. You know, Ayatollah Khomeini uh, was famous for saying, uh, when he was asked on the plane uh, coming back to Iran from exile, um, some, you know, a reporter asked him, what do you feel, how do you feel about returning uh, to Iran? And he said, I feel nothing. And essentially, I think that uh, describes the Islamic Republic. You have uh, Islamist rulers who, uh, don't really care about Iran as a nation, uh, but see it as a, ca a cause for uh, a worldwide Islamic revolution. And that feeling is very much alive among uh, the ruling class in Iran, but the people of Iran don't want that. Um, they've been protesting against the regime's uh, policies in Gaza and Lebanon and Syria and elsewhere. And I think like all people, the people of Iran uh, want to have a peaceful and prosperous life. With this regime, uh, it is extremely brutal, as has been demonstrated uh, in the last 43 years, but really by uh, 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 the Aban massacre. I think uh, if uh, people were not afraid, you would see mass demonstrations in Iran. You would see uh, pressure for a, a peaceful transition to democracy. But this regime is just extremely brutal, will kill anybody it sees as a threat and uh, doesn't expect any sort of international pressure and response, especially from countries like Canada. And, and this regime, in fact, is responsible uh, for Soleimani in particular, responsible for the killing of hundreds of thousands of peaceful um, well, it started as a peaceful movement uh, for just reform, uh, not even overthrow of Bashar al-Assad, and uh, resulted in very quickly the shooting of peaceful protesters from helicopter gunships. And uh, that war that Assad waged on the Syrian people was very much fueled by uh, the regime that we're talking about. Um, Adirza John, you uh, have been following Iran for a long time. Can you uh, draw some uh, comparisons, contrasts to how Iranians were uh, thinking and talking about political change in 2009 during the Green Movement and how they are now? The Green Movement, um, as a reminder for folks, uh, was a time when Millions of people were on the streets of Tehran and some other cities. Uh, millions is, is, a, is a huge number. Uh, yeah. And um, uh, at the time, at the time, uh, the, uh, uh, the election um, was called for uh, Mahmoud Ahmadinejad. And um, some people had chosen to vote in that election supporting Musavi and Karubi. Um, and, but the movement on the streets, uh, the people on the streets uh, were all kinds of Iranians. Some had chosen to vote and were clearly supporters of Musavi and Karubi. Some hadn't voted at all. Some hadn't voted in any of the regime's elections. Um, but the slogans uh, very quickly became against 
uh, the entirety of the regime for wholesale overthrow, death to the dictator. Can you, um, and one of the slogans that continues to be very popular, no to Gaza, no to Lebanon, my life for Iran, uh, meaning no, we don't support the, the regime's um, funneling of funds and support to uh, Hamas and uh, others in um, Gaza or in Lebanon, Hezbollah, but rather we support our Iranian nation and uh, we don't want the regime to be backing these killers. Uh, that slogan has continued and been very consistent over the last 10 years. But can you describe in your own uh, view, having closely monitored the civic discourse, the political demands, how things have evolved, uh, both for the better and the worse, if there is the worse also? The most important uh, development uh, in the last 10 years plus, since 2009 especially, has been um, the breaking of this myth, both in Iran and the United States and the West, that the Islamic Republic can be reformed, uh, that it can moderate. Um, this is an absolute theocracy ruled by a dictator who believes he has a mandate from God, and he's backed by a vast uh, security and military force. That's the reality of Iran. Iranians have uh, realized, since 2009 especially, that this regime is not going to be reformed, uh, that the reformists and so-called moderates like Rouhani are very much a fabric uh, of this regime. They're the foundations of this regime that there are no moderates in this regime. Uh, and that really the only way um, Iran can be saved. And, you know, Iran is a dying country. If you look at its environmental condition and water shortages, uh, it is dying and it has to be saved. But the only way to save Iran uh, is to get rid of this regime. And uh, because it is a heavily armed regime, um, peaceful protests, labor strikes, uh, teacher strikes, you name it, have uh, been the primary method that the people of Iran have been fighting this regime. Yeah. But without international support, it, I think it would be very hard uh, to really see a transition to democracy in Iran. Can you say more about that? What international support do you think is required? The main uh, problem um, with democratization in Iran uh, is the nuclear issue. Uh, the West has really uh, prioritized the nuclear issue mm -hmm. um, at the expense of everything else happening in Iran. And I would argue a lot of things happening in the Middle East. So, so as long as Washington and Ottawa uh, are willing to ignore the crimes against humanity in Iran uh, for the sake of achieving a nuclear agreement or going back into the nuclear agreement um, that is on its uh, deathbed, yeah. I think um, it will be very difficult to see uh, democracy come uh, to Iran. I think uh, once uh, the nuclear issue, and who knows if we'll ever resolve, but as long as the nuclear issue, I think, is a priority, the people of uh, Iran are trapped in this massive prison run by the Islamic Republic. I think even moral support is important. For example, in 2009, as you mentioned, uh, Iranians were crying out for President Obama 
to come to their aid in Persian. Uh, they were saying, is he with us or with them? Um, and uh, really, Obama threw them under the bus because of the nuclear agreement. Um, and um, surprisingly, actually, Ben Rhodes, uh, someone who's really responsible uh, for that policy, said he regrets it and he thinks Obama regrets it. But of course, I think the United States and the West missed a crucial chance in 2009 and since then to come to the help of the Iranian people because as long as this regime is in power, I don't think the nuclear issue is going to be resolved. Um, you know, the threat of conflict in the Middle East will not go away. Uh, the regime is the main problem in Iran, not just the nuclear program. Yeah, the Biden and Trudeau policies towards Iran right now are um, a repeat of the Obama posture. So I'm not sure how much I can I can believe the regrets that uh, Obama, Hillary, Ben Rhodes, others have expressed. But um, so you mentioned I don't believe in him too. But you know, politicians say things to make themselves look good. He was doing that interview with uh, Masi Ali Nejad, and she put him on the spot. Um, yeah. So yeah. At least there's lip service now to the idea that it was wrong to uh, abandon protesters when they were out on the streets and uh, when it was clear that their aspiration was for democracy. Um, so you've mentioned the listing of the IRGC, you've mentioned um, moral support, you've mentioned people in Iran who strike from various uh, sectors. One um, uh, demand has been to support the uh, strikers more through a labor strike fund. Um, the Foundation for De Defense of Democracies, where you're a senior fellow, has has called for other um, uh, policy uh, changes to support the people. If you want, maybe talk a bit about that, and then um, we can move to one last question. The policy I think that will be um, more effective than anything is maximum support for the Iranian people. And by that, I mean not just imposing sanctions on Iran and expecting these issues to go away, uh, but supporting the Iranian people's aspirations for democracy. Uh, and the US and Canada can do a lot in this manner by supporting uh, democratization programs and civil society programs in Iran. Uh, but that has really been uh, on the wane. And, you know, until that support is coming, I think the people of Iran, um, what I sense, there's a general psychology that as long as the West or the rest of the world supports this regime, uh, nothing will change in Iran. And so why should they rise up and be massacred in the streets while the Biden and Trudeau administration uh, are waiting to do business with Iran? But yeah. in terms of, um, you know, you asked about, for example, uh, labor strikes. Yes, you know, we, we have proposed um, a fund to help labor strikers uh, in Iran. Uh, as um, you very well know, uh, the Solidarity Movement, the labor movement, uh, which was a labor movement in Poland, uh, was crucial to ending communism in Eastern Europe and in the Soviet Union. And uh, Iran has been experiencing massive nationwide uh, labor strikes for years now. Uh, even a few months ago, there were massive uh, strikes uh, trying to really uh, pressure the regime to treat laborers better. Um, yeah. And as you said, you know, left of center forces in the Western world, progressive forces 
uh, in the world have really ignored the struggle. They've ignored the labor struggle in Europe. That's one thing they should really care about, um, their fellow laborers and workers. One last question, Ali Rizajan. Um, uh, as far as this um, relaxed or naive posture towards uh, the regime uh, in Tehran goes uh, from governments, how do you see the role of media in the free world and uh, how it is um, increasingly under attack by activists inside the country, inside Iran, people like Hossein Ronaqi, who under his own name uh, have written a number of tweet threads and more importantly, a historic op-ed in the Wall Street Journal uh, talking about how the uh, media of the free world is actually complicit in um, maintaining repression in Iran. Um, can you talk a, a bit about how you see uh, journalists in the free world as having the responsibility to do much better than they are? Uh, Hossein Ronari, as you said, is an activist inside Iran. And he wrote a brilliant uh, op-ed in the Wall Street Journal that I recommend everybody read, uh, describing how uh, apologists in the United States and the West in general have been trying to keep uh, information from uh, coming from inside Iran uh, to the outside world, especially, for example, the Aban massacre. And much of the world does, has, knows nothing about what happened in Iran. It's really a historic um, event. And I really do, um, it's not that I just feel like I've seen it with my own eyes after having worked in Washington, D.C. for so many years. There was a very concentrated or concerted uh, effort uh, by pro-JCPOA forces uh, with the Obama administration working closely with them to shape the narrative on the Iran issue. And uh, uh, people who disagreed with the Obama administration's uh, policies on Iran, on appeasing the Islamic Republic, were often called warmongers. Um, this charge was led by um, you know, a couple of groups that uh, are suspected of, of lobbying for the Islamic Republic in Washington, D.C. And uh, they're, they have a network of uh, uh, media supporters uh, and journalists uh, who are particularly close to the uh, former foreign minister of Iran, Mohammad Javad Zarif. That network is uh, still quite active. It has been weakened, but it, uh, it's still uh, trying to push um, for U.S. Uh, re-entry into JCPOA and U.S. policies and Canadian policies favorable uh, toward the Islamic Republic. Uh, I think one of the ways this regime will be greatly weakened is if it doesn't have an information monopoly uh, in Iran. And I think that has already happened. Um, social media has... Uh, done a lot to let us know what's happening in Iran. I remember um, uh, in 2017, during the uprising of that year, uh, social media played a very crucial role in my understanding of what was happening inside Iran because people were videotaping events with their cell phones and sending it abroad. Mm -hmm. uh, but also there are a lot of uh, Persian language broadcasts like Iran International, Manitou TV, um, that are really informing Iranians uh, about what's happening in the world and in their country. Uh, but also I think uh, Iranian activists abroad are doing a pretty good job informing policymakers as well. Once 
the regime's information monopoly is broken and the uh, JCPOA network's monopoly on information is broken. I think we could see some significant changes in Iran. It's happening bit by bit, but not really uh, fast enough, in my opinion. Yeah, uh, I used to travel back to Iran uh, until 2005 when I became more active on the human rights democracy front. I went back to Iran six times between uh, 1990 and 2005. And uh, even from the first of those trips, um, or perhaps especially the first of those trips, it was right after the uh, Iran-Iraq war ended, I was consistently um, uh, met by people wanting to talk about how much they detest the regime. Yes. And uh, this is a, um, uh, a very long-term um, uh, aspiration for democracy on the part of the uh, people of Iran. And it's been a long time that they know that this is a totalitarian regime that is of course repressing them and is also very corrupt. Um, but as you described so well, Aliruza John, things have evolved in terms of their access to communication and their ability to convey their thoughts and aspirations to the outside world. And as I mentioned, the op-ed by Hussein Ronaki is uh, the most um, exemplary uh, display of that, at least in uh, recent times. And um, Thank you so much for, for being with us, Aliraza John, and thank you all for watching this um, uh, McDonald Laurier Institute discussion. It's the first one in our series called Democracy Matters, Conversations on the Future of the Free World. I'm Mariam Mimar Sadegi, was really happy to uh, have you with us. Aliraza Nader, thank you again for joining us. And thank you for all the great work you do and your organization does. This has been Talking in the Free World with Mariam Memar Sadegi. The show is a production of Canada's McDonald Laurier Institute. Please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts, give us your rating and review, and please share with others. If you have suggestions, including on topics or guests, I'd be grateful. You can write to me on Twitter at Memar Sadegi. Thanks for listening.